Welcome to episode 27 of the Pop Anime Comics Lounge. A few weeks ago, I had the pleasure of recording this interview with Mr. Otis Frampton, the creator, artist, and writer of the comic Oddly Normal. But before we dive into the interview, I would like to remind everybody to check out my website, popanimecomics.com, for articles relating to anime, comics, and pop culture, as well as follow us on Twitter, at popanimecomics.com. For all updates regarding this podcast as well as the website. So without further ado, let's dive right into this interview. When were you first introduced to comics and what titles were you reading? Uh, well, that's funny. I was actually just talking about this on Twitter with somebody about uh, the fact that some of the first comics I ever read were Star Wars comics, the old Marvel Star Wars comics. Because back then, that was the only Star Wars we had but between movies. Uh, was the comic series by Marvel, and it was great. I remember uh, riding my bike to Tom Thumb one day and, and seeing uh, issue 68, which had Boba Fett on the cover. And I was like, whoa, that's awesome, cool. Because, you know, you see Boba Fett in the movie, and then a couple years later, you see it in the comic shops, and it just kind of blew my mind. And I loved G.I. Joe comics when I was a kid. Those are the first comics I was introduced, introduced to. I actually wasn't really a big comic fan until those comics and then it was issue 174 of Uncanny X-Men that really got me into comics and loving them beyond just sort of comics based on properties that I liked. I got into X-Men and I was sort of hooked and that was it. Before then I thought that all superheroes were like the Batman TV shows I thought they were kind of goofy but it was Uncanny X-Men that really got me hooked. Growing up when did you realize that you were talented at drawing and being an artist? I've always drawn I like to tell the story that my mom tells me that I was two years old and my first work was drawing with butter on her carpet but I mean, I've always drawn, and I was always the kid, like in elementary school, I was always the kid that, that could draw, and you know, the kids always looked to, to to draw stuff for them. I used to, even as a kid, I would do commission on my fellow students' uh, book covers. You know how you used to put paper bags on books, get commissions for that when I was a kid. I always drawn. It wasn't until my early 20s that I really started wanting to get into comic as a career. I was really into theater and film and stuff in high school, and then I went to community college and studied film. I thought I was going to be involved in film, but one day when I was skipping a boring class, I went to a comic shop for the first time in years because I didn't read comics when I was in high school but I, I skipped class and I went to this local comic shop in uh, Minneapolis and I walked in and it just happened to be the same week that Spawn number one came out and I remember seeing Spawn number one with those amazing computer colors and it just looked so different than anything I'd ever read before and I got it and that was my first exposure to Todd McFarlane so I became a huge fan of his at the time and, and I think seeing Todd's work and the work of like Eric Larson and Matt Wagner on uh, Legends Dark Knight really made me think how oh, these guys were really cartoony and that things have changed since I was a kid when it was all John Byrne and you know more illustrative stuff I thought maybe I can do this maybe I can tell stories this way and, and it might work out so that's how I got into drawing comics really and thinking of it as a possible career because until then I thought I wasn't good enough you know I thought I had to be a really good illustrator and really study the anatomy and stuff but I gravitated towards the more toony stuff and that really got me in, into the career field. How did you transition from exploring comics to being a comic artist? Well, like I said, I was really involved in theater and film uh, in high school, and uh, I was involved in the theater program, and I was also involved in a summer school for talented youth program, where at first I was in the theater program, and then I think it was my second year, I asked the, the teacher of that program if she'd ever considered doing a play written by a student, and she said, oh, of course I'd consider it, thinking probably that would never happen, but during the next school year, I wrote a play, and I sent it to her, and she accepted it, and I ended up writing... I think five plays for that program ultimately through my high school years. I mean, I've been writing all my life too and that really kind of made me think I could be a writer, you know? Like I said, I went into community college, studied film and 
after getting back into comics, I kind of realized that it might be best to tell the stories I wanted to tell in comics. It's a much more sort of one-man operation, whereas film is it's very collaborative. And also, when I was in community college and studying film, it was still in the analog era. It was film, and it was audio tape, and it was before computers even came into it. And I think I was frustrated by the, by the technology and the fact that I could take you know pieces of paper, draw on them, and tell my stories that way. The simplicity of it really appealed to me. The whole one-man band thing. When I got a tablet and got into Photoshop, that just made it even more appealing because it really was a one-man band thing. I could do everything that way. The aspect of comics I love is that you can be one person and you can basically make your little movies on paper and, and that's what I loved about it. Now, in 2005, you came to Viper Comics. How did you discover Viper Comics? Well, actually, they found me. I'd been doing a Oddly Normal as a webcomic for a little while and it the art director of Viper found it and sent me an email and said, we'd like to publish it as a four-issue miniseries. It was actually, you know, it was really simple. It was just sitting there online and they found it and asked me to be a part of it. And being sought after rather than you pursuing a company, how did that make you feel as a creator? Well, it was great. I mean, obviously it was nice. Unfortunately, in retrospect, I really wasn't ready to have my own comic. I mean, I was still sort of unformed as an artist, despite the fact that, you know, I've been drawing for years. I've always been kind of a lazy artist and until like 2010. I don't think I really put the effort into doing artwork that I really should have. I was sort of skated on natural talent which is really sort of irrelevant you need skills but it was great getting recognition and the comic it was reviewed very well uh, people seem to like it but i was always disappointed with the artwork and the limited series sort of format so it's been great now having a second chance to do the series uh, at image because i always had more story to tell than i had space available in those viper issues and also i'm a better artist now so i'm finally doing the comic the way that i always wished it, it had looked so that's nice and in fact funny you mentioned being pursued because i've actually never i've never had to like look for work and that might sound weird but like pitching the image is the first time I've actually I think pitched anything to a publisher like I've done work for Capstone books and they came to me and I've done work for How It Should Have Ended the web series and they came to me so pitching Oddly Normal early last year to a number of publishers was the first time actually I had to go pursuing anything so, um, I, I feel very lucky in that regard also around the time of Oddly Normal you were involved in Josh Howard present Sash Squash how did this come about? I met Josh in I think January or February of 2005 he'd been doing his Dead at 17 series. I think he finished the first miniseries by that point. You know, he gained some traction in the industry. He was named one of Wizards' top 10 to watch and that was a big deal and when I met him, we uh, hit it off right away and Josh has been a great friend of mine in, in the industry ever since and, you know, he, he's really into cryptozoology. He, you know, he loves that stuff and I think doing the Sasquatch book was like a pet project of his and he asked a bunch of his, his friends and artists he liked to contribute and I was, I was happy to do a few pages for him. It was awesome and Josh is still going strong. I don't know if you know this but Dead at 17 just finished its run as a series. He also took his series to Image Comics and I think it's next month the collected volume of every single issue of Dead at 17 is coming out from Image so so watch out for that it's going to be awesome and then after you worked on this project, you returned to web comics with Escape from Planet Nowhere. Where was your inspiration to go back to web comics, and in particular behind this project? Between 2009, 2000, like 10, 11, there was a time when I was sort of in transition. Like I said, I don't think I really worked much as I should have, and there was a time between like 2010 to 2012, I think, two or three years there, where I just said, you know what, I, I need to get better, and I, I started taking on tons of commissions. I lived off of commission work for a couple of years there and doing web comics, and I started two webcomics during that time. One was Escape Planet Nowhere, the other was called The Song of Xanthia. But uh, Escape Planet Nowhere is something that I'd actually like to finish someday, maybe redo that too. But the whole idea was to sort of test my painting abilities. It was a very painterly comic and I was really trying to push myself 
and do something that I'd never done before. And it was really just experimentation. That was really all it was. My plans were always to get back to doing Oddly Normal. It's the story that I really you know, had the most faith in, had the most connection to, and, and thought could go somewhere, ultimately. Could be successful in some way. So Escape from Out of Nowhere was really just one of those transitional things I did. Although, like I said, I do want to finish it someday. That'd be cool. And working on the webcomic, did you learn any traits or skills that helped you pursue and get better as a comic artist? As a comic artist, I don't know about that. It actually, one of the things that I think it led to, along with doing all those commissions that I referenced, was doing the more painterly thing, I think, helped lead to my work for how it should have ended. Especially the backgrounds that I've painted for that, that series. I never painted anything like that. So that, I think, more than anything, was a real testing of me to see if I could do something different. You know, my work on how it should have ended, at least the background work, is so different from anything else that I do. It was a great way to push myself and try different things, which I think you should always do as an artist. Now, you said you do background work for how it should have ended. How did mm-hmm. you become involved in that project? I got an email one day. Daniel Baxter, the creator of the series, he had been doing the animation and artwork by himself the first few years of the series, and it's so much work. He got overwhelmed. And, I, and at a certain point, how it should have ended, took on some contract work from machinima.com. They were going to do some how video games should have ended shorts. And there's just no way Daniel could have done those too. So he, I was initially hired as the video game guy. He had known my work from DeviantArt. He'd been following me for a couple of years. And so he knew that I, and that was when I was pumping out these commissions, which looked very animated. You know, they had line drawings for the characters in the foreground, but the backgrounds are all fully painted. And he saw those, and, you know, maybe he'll be good. And he asked me, and then I think it took like six months for them to finally sort of bring me on board. But it was just him seeing me on DeviantArt, liking my work, and asked me to come on. And I've been with him ever since. And currently, since you're still with him, how do you balance your comic work, how it should have ended, and your other projects? Badly. I think I do about one short a month for them. Maybe once every a month and a half sometimes. But these days I'm only doing backgrounds. And then once in a while I'll do something else. Like I did a full How It Should Have Ended Kids short a few months ago where I did not just the all the artwork for it, but I storyboarded it too and planned it out. But mostly I'm just doing backgrounds now. And that just requires two or three days of long hours to paint them and get them out. I actually just finished the backgrounds for Star Wars Episode 2 that should be out probably in the next week. But it's one of those things where I kind of cram in the work on that to pay the rent. And then I go back to doing comics and stuff. The comics are my main thing right now, even though they're still not the bread and butter, you know, so to speak, of, of my life. Hopefully that'll change soon. But I mean, it's been fun working on How It Should Vend It because it's so different than anything else I've ever done. And it, it's great being at, at comic conventions, having people see my How It Should Have Ended banner and reacting to it because everybody loves the series. I mean, I was a fan before I got on board. It's great, you know, getting that sort of feeling of everybody loves it. And it's across the board, old, young. It's a great feeling knowing that I'm part of that team. And in 2012, you got to do a 16 second star. Star Wars scene. What was that like for you being a fan and reading Star Wars comics growing up? For uh, Star Wars Uncut, that was fun. I'm really bummed that it didn't make the final cut, but it was fun because it, that was actually the first real thing that I'd, I'd ever animated myself. I'm not one of the animators on how it should have ended, but working with them and seeing how they do their work, that actually was a great training program, even though I'm not there watching them, obviously. But knowing how they work and putting together the assets for an animated short for how it should have ended, you know, I couldn't have done my own stuff if it hadn't been for that. So. So it was a lot of fun. I'm hoping that the guys who run the Star Wars Uncut project will come out with their uh, Return of the Jedi project soon because I'd like a second shot at that to try to get into the final cut. But I mean, it was fun. I have a bunch of friends who contributed shorts to it and they were all so good. It was so great watching them all. The end product is really cool to watch. It's really neat. Now in 2013, you returned to a printed format 
with the graphic novel doing the illustrations for Tombstone Twins Soulmates? What were the challenges to returning to a print form versus a webcomic? I don't separate the two. I don't treat them differently. It's all about storytelling. In the case of Tombstone Twins, I was hired just to provide artwork. That was the first time I'd ever drawn from someone else's script. So that was challenging because uh, I had to sort of set aside my own ideas and just do the job. It was work for hire. Luckily, Capstone liked my work on it. And then I think it was last year, they hired me to write and draw a book for them. And that was actually a lot more fun because I got to start from scratch. I got to pitch them the idea and then draw it myself, which made it nice because I was able to basically write something that I knew I wanted to draw, which is ideal, you know, because you can play to your own strengths. It was an updated version of Little Red Riding Hood for their fairy tale series. And I basically made her a superhero fighting a giant wolf-shaped robot. So you can't beat that in terms of having fun drawing because I just got to draw superhero stuff all day. Just doing the straight work for hire and and working off of somebody else's script was an interesting experience because I'd never done it before. I'd always draw on what I'd written. And so that was different. And you also got the opportunity to work with Stan Lee and the How It Should Have Ended team on Stan Rants. What was your role in that project? Uh, I just did the backgrounds for that, which and it was kind of a bummer because for a while there, we thought that we'd be doing more Stan's Rants episodes for them. Apparently, How It Should Have Ended was in negotiations to do more of those. And then if that would have happened, I would have been the Stan's Rants guy. I would have been the art- artist for that series, but it never panned out. And so it was kind of a disappointment. I actually created a little Stan Lee we call the characters in How It Should Have Ended Shorts puppets and I created a Stanley puppet for it just to show them what it would look like and that would have been a lot of fun. I was really bummed that didn't happen because that would have been like my own little thing in the How It Should Have Ended universe but it never panned out unfortunately. But it was fun. I got to paint a bunch of backgrounds for different movies that they parodied like Star Wars and Inception. So it was cool. And now let's talk about A, B, C, D, E, F, E. How did you come up <laughs> with this concept? It was kind of an accident. I was doing a commission for one of my uh, most frequent commission clients and he wanted me to do a Balrog for him. And I'd drawn the Balrog a bunch of times and it was just it was kind of boring because I was drawing him just the straight version, you know? Like, Let me try something different. So I drew a little baby Balrog and put the words B is for Balrog on it like it was a page from a kid's book. You know, he thought it was cool and I liked it and I thought, you know what? Actually, can I buy this back from you? I kind of took the commission back and gave him a different one and, and I used that as the springboard for doing more alphabet geek letters and it just sort of snowballed and I ended up finishing a full alphabet people really liked it so I kept going they liked that one so I did more and it's just something I've done for fun and now it's an entire collection of t-shirts I've done a couple of animated shorts for the How It Should Have Ended uh, YouTube channel based off of it and it's really just sort of one of those things that I do just to sort of please myself and people have, have liked it so that's been nice hopefully I'll have time to get back to it I gotta finish the third book and when you first started did you ever imagine how popular it would be not not at all i did the first few and it just sort of like it took off obviously people love their geeky stuff and it was a chance to sort of infuse the work that i was doing with some humor you know usually people just draw stuff and they're like oh here's a drawing of han solo yay it was a chance not only to use artistic skills but but to do some writing you know each of them is a little cartoon it was great it got some play online for a while there with some websites picked up on it and it got shared a lot it's been consistently my best-selling books at conventions the last few years it really has surprised me but it's been nice and you also worked on when this series was gaining popularity chosen to the sea which focused on the chosen reservoir campaign of the korean war how did you get involved in this project i got an email from one of the artists on the main book he brought me into it 
Uh, but again, it was one of those things where somebody asked me, would you be interested in doing it? I think the other artist, Richard, I think he knew that I, I'd been in the Air Force and they were looking for people who'd been in the military who were also comic artists to contribute to it. And I think that was part of what got me the gig. But it was at a, at a time where I needed work and it seemed like a good project. And you know, I had a personal connection to why I decided to take that project on too. For a number of years uh, in, the, in the 90s, I was a waiter and I worked at a, at a Perkins here in Minnesota and I was the night guy. And every morning this, this regular came in. His name was Don. I don't know, he was in his 60s, maybe 70s. I forget how old he was. He'd come in every morning at 6 a.m., sit in the same booth and just have coffee. And he had lost a leg in the Korean War. And uh, we became, over the years, you know, seeing him every day I worked, we became really good friends. And being part of Chosen was a chance to sort of honor my friendship with Don. We were really close and I miss him. And it was a chance to say, you know what, I'm going to do this for Don. So that was really nice. And obviously, this was a very different project than others due to nature and, and the story and the seriousness of this comic. How did that affect you as an artist, drawing it and contributing to it? I don't think I changed anything, to be honest. I mean, it's still my style. The subject matter changed. It's I still drew it the way that I draw. I, I wasn't asked to change anything. Um, I did some... Uh, sample stuff to send to the writer to see if he was okay with it and he, you know he liked it he didn't want it to be not me you know he wanted me to draw it the way i wanted to draw it i think the biggest challenge of that project was just the research involved because you know i got the script i had to do the research for how things looked all on my own and there were some challenging things i mean well, the whole story involves these two children who were basically orphaned they they go on this track and they find their way to the sea and they hook up with the evacuating refugees and the u.s army and the last few pages the whole scene is a sea of refugees boarding these transport ships and that was challenging. You have to show this mass of humanity. How do you do it without killing yourself as an artist? And so that was challenging. But also certain uh, military equipment, certain military vehicles, the, the uniforms, I really tried to get it all right. And so that was the biggest challenge of that project. And now to transition to Ali Normal, we did an interview about a few months back. Many changes have occurred in Oddly Normal in the last few months. One of them was bringing in another artist, Tracy Bailey. How did this come about? For the first four issues, I did everything myself. Myself. And then issue five, I needed some help on a few pages just for the colors to keep on schedule. And I'd known Tracy since my Viper days. She'd colored a few things for Viper for different creators. And I met her at Comic-Con. And I remember being reminded of her by somebody when I was at San Diego Comic-Con. And I was like, oh, she'd be a good person to help me out on a few pages on this issue. And I liked what she did. And for the next, I don't know how many issues, I would give her three to five pages to color just to help me out in the production schedule. Because I have a tendency to go over the standard number of pages on each issue. Usually 20 pages is more more than enough, especially if you're doing it all yourself. There were times when I go up to like 28 pages on an issue and you just can't do that much in a month or even a bi-monthly series. And so I would send her a few pages each month and she'd help me out. I think for the next few issues, it's just going to be, be me again. She really saved me on issues five through 10. And now Oddly Normal is aimed for, for a variety of different ages, but primarily at children. And one of your goals when you were pursuing the reboot of Oddly Normal was get a deal with Scholastic, which you you have recently achieved how did this relationship form it's still with image the scholastic is just for the scholastic book fair which means that it's now in the book fair that occurs at elementary schools all over the world i think one of my goals was to get in this classic book fair because that's a big deal in terms of getting it into the hands of its intended audience but i gotta credit image with being on the ball with this with everything i wanted to do with this series they've come to me like right before i was about to go to them and ask them if they would even consider it like you know i wanted the format of the book to be six by nine they came to me right before i was about to ask them what goal was to get it into the children's section of bookstores like barnes and noble as opposed to the graphic novel section they came 
came to me and asked me if I would be open to that. And same thing happened with this classic book fair. They said, look, you know, we think that'd be a good venue to pursue. And I said, yes, let's do that. That's definitely good. And finally happens. It's great. We got our first order for Scholastic in, I think, last month. And I think kids will now be seeing Oddly Normal at their book fair selection starting next month or January. So it's it's great. Image has been great. And how does it feel to know that Image has your back and that they have the best interest of your creation in mind? I cannot thank them enough. They've always been uh, one step ahead of, of what I wanted to do in terms of the promotion aspect. I mean, Image is really hands-off in terms of the actual content of the books. So the creators, they do all that themselves. They don't say anything about the logo, the book design, all on you to make your decisions for your book. What they are good at helping with is the business side and, and the promotion. There's something that I can't talk about until mid-December, but I really want to. There's another aspect about the promotion of the book that's going to really help me in 2016 in terms of getting the book seen by people in ways that I, I never could have if I had like self-published. It's going to be great. I, I can't wait to talk about it. It's another example of, of Image being ahead of the curve and, and being proactive about making sure that they're tailoring their approach to the business on the comic. One of the things that's impressed me most about that is Oddly Normal is an all-ages book and Image isn't really known for that and they've been really great about making sure that the approach to promoting Oddly Normal is different than it would be for a book like Saga or Sex Criminals. It has to be different because it's an audience that I'm going for. Also, you know, specifically, I got to credit Kat Salazar at Image Comics for really being just great. And there are other people at Image, but she's been really great. And in fact, I think Kat was the one who was like the deciding vote on bringing it oddly to Image when I sent it to them. So she's She's been a real great shepherd of the book, so to speak. And now Oddly Normal has also changed its format of publications from being single issues to being released in a graphic novel format and book format. Why did that occur? It's all about economics. These single issues were not selling as well as we'd hoped. That's a polite euphemism for those bad sales for the single issues. One of the sad realities of the comic business these days that kids don't read comics. They read graphic novels. They've been conditioned, I think, partly by the Scholastic Book Fair to read graphic novels. You know, books like Amulet and Smile and Cleopatra in Space. These series have done really well for kids because they like the books. And the parents like the books too. But kids just aren't going to comic shops the way the adults are. And so the single issues didn't do as well. Again, I was actually going to suggest to Image that we maybe stop doing the single issues and just do books to sort of benefit from the fact that it's a different audience. And I swear, like a few days before I was going to tell them, they came to me and said, hey, would you consider just doing books from now on it was like a lifesaver you know i was like thank you because i was taking a bath on the single issues for sales they were totally open to it and you know that's how we're gonna do it from now on and it's great for me because that's how i always wanted the books to be anyway so it's sort of like we had a great run it was fun doing single issues i never thought i'd have a series to do but it's the books that are going to be read most by the kids so that's where it's at and now you set up your series as chapters rather than issues was that purposeful or was that an accident no it was absolutely purposeful i had originally thought reboot of oddly normal was going to be a series of longer graphic novels like Amulet, really substantial, thick you know, books. And in fact, uh, I had a literary agent for a couple of years, and you know, she tried to get it picked up by book publishers like Scholastic, you know, graphics, that kind of thing. Uh, we almost got it sold to one, and then you know, they passed, and she tried to find a home for it, but eventually couldn't, and so I, I lost her. And that's when I decided to pitch to comic publishers. But I decided to keep the chapter format just in case anything like this ever happened. It's the way I always designed the story to be told as like a chapter book kind of thing. I like the idea of feeling like a chapter book where you know a chapter title and a sort of a, a little header image it worked out from this point on it's going to be a series of books and so feels like it was meant to be as a follow-up to me talking 
about how the, the single issues didn't do well. The main decision for going to books was that after uh, book one came out, book one sold really well. It actually, it beat both Image Comics and Diamond Distributors projections for the sales. We went into a second printing faster than they thought. And because I think that if that hadn't sold well, I think I would have been in danger of just having the series canceled altogether, you know, out of necessity because I, I couldn't afford to keep it going. Book one sold well. The, the single issues didn't, book one sold well. And the single issues did not do well, but the books just, it's been great. So with book one selling so well, and the series still staying alive, for lack of a better word. How do you feel about this run versus your 2005 run with Oddly Normal? Yes, in terms of the length of... Uh, the series, you know, I, the initial Viper series was four issues, 22 pages each. I had to cram what will eventually be 15 chapters of uh, material from the Image series into four issues. So it's like 100 pages versus what will be 300 plus pages of story. The whole point of doing the reboot of the series was to basically decompress it. I always had more story to add. I always wanted it to be more than it was. But I always believed in this series and it's great knowing that I'm finally able to get it out because I've been working so hard <laughs> trying to get it back up on its feet and I never thought it would be with Image. Pitching to Image, I sent it to six different publishers in January of 2014. The f- I had the first two chapters done so I printed them up through Kablam printing and so I basically had two whole issues with covers and they looked like real issues. They had even had little letter pages in the back and Image was always sort of the long shot. It was the one that I said, you know what, they'll never pick it up but I gotta try. And when I got the email back from Eric Stevenson, I was floored. I could not believe it. I just really could not. And going back to, like I said, the, the comic that got me back into comics all those years ago was Spawn number one. So having the, the image eye on one of my books is it's literally a dream come true. And now since issue six moving forward, you've done a fantastic job introducing organic elements such as Ali Normal's birthday, along with the nice memory of her parents and also her friends. How do you as a writer and artist really convey those feelings and emotions in an organic way to your readers? Again, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do the reboot because, you know, when I had to basically do the stripped down version for Viper, I had to lose a lot of the character stuff. It was all plot. I had to basically... I had to strip down the story. All that was left was really the plot, and I, I hate that character and story guy. I love that stuff. And you know, you mentioned that the scenes of from six and seven, the chapters where Oddly basically goes into a memory and sees her parents. That was one of the scenes that I had to jettison for the original version. And I was so thankful to be able to get back. It's a huge moment for her where she connects with her parents in a way that she couldn't, you know, before. It helps to make her see that she might not know her parents as well as she thought she did. She might not know the truth about her situation like she thought she did and that's going to come into play big time in the series and so getting that scene back in was really important to me one of the great things about doing the expanded series is adding in those character moments and also layering in things that are going to be coming up in the series in organic ways that i couldn't before you know there's a character in the series tommy tsunami who's a kid at her her school he's a he's a superhero in the viper version he wasn't in that first miniseries because i didn't know if there's going to be a second one so i didn't include him well now i can have him show up you know here and there in the series so that when his part of the story fully emerges the readers have seen him they know what she thinks of him they know who he is and and how she reacts it'll play a lot better in the bigger story to come so that's been a real gift so oddly normal has been optioned as a tv show just recently as a creator how do you feel that somebody sees that your work can transcend beyond a comic Oddly Normal was optioned twice during the Viper years. Uh, it's you know it's always great when that happens. One of the great things about having gotten the right back from Viper and then now it's being published by Image is that uh, with Image I own the property outright, and so I was able to actually make my own deal for the uh, the newest option. And 
if this actually gets picked up and, and it moves forward as a series, I'll be involved in it as opposed to before when I, I probably wouldn't have been because Viper owned half of it and I really was, I was not consulted much for any of the development in the previous versions. But this version, it's been great. It's been a year now that we've been under option. We've been moving forward. There's been things happening. Really cool developments that I wish I could talk about, but I can't yet. And uh, I'm looking forward to it actually happening. I think it'll happen this time. I think it's going to it's gonna move forward. And if and when it does, uh, another dream come true for me because like I said, I, I was always want to be in film involved in film and, and so this will just be like icing on the cake you know to be involved in that kind of thing and then outside of oddly normal you mentioned that you worked on a red riding hood superhero type comic how did you get involved in that project that was another uh, book for capstone which i did uh tombstone twins for and again they came to me and asked if i wanted to to pitch them a story based on the idea that red riding Hood was a superhero and and that was it like i said it, it was a fun project got to write it got to draw it got to write it in a way that i knew that i wouldn't be bored drawing it and I haven't heard anything from them recently, but I'd always be open to doing another one for them. It's an easy gig. I, I don't think they've ever asked me to really change that much, which is nice. It's always nice when you work for somebody providing artwork or, or writing and, and they're just happy with your work. And that's one of the things that's great about working with How It Should Have Ended. I've only ever been asked to change one thing in four years. And then finally, before we get into promos, do you have any advice for anybody who wants to get into the comic industry or the animation industry? Uh, for comics, my advice is always uh, really simple. It's it's one, learn about visual storytelling from anything you can. Study movies, study comics, anything that involves uh, visuals and storytelling, just learn everything you can. Second piece of advice is what you really want, don't quit. The easiest way to fail is, is to quit. That sounds really basic. You have no idea how many of talent and ability have just gotten frustrated or people with talent and ability who are easily distracted by things like you know, video games. Don't quit. You got to push forward. I consider myself middling talent, but I'm a bulldog. I don't quit. I think any success that, that I've had in the past or will have is because I don't let go of the bone. I won't stop. Persistence is so much more important than talent in, in this business. So don't quit. Uh, as far as animation, I, I can't really give advice on that. I fell into working with How It Should Have Ended and I've done animation myself, but it's not something that I've ever really pursued seriously. I think the same rules would apply. Study visual storytelling and don't quit. It's really simple. It's really simple to sort of move forward in this business and it's just as simple to fail by not trying hard enough. So keep moving forward and don't quit and then finally do you have anything you would like to promote really the only thing that I really want to promote is Oddly Normal book 2 just came out in comic shops and bookstores over the last couple weeks you can find it that way Uh, book 3 should be out in comic shops the last week in April of 2016 and then the first week of May in bookstores 2016 you know there's stuff coming and, and hopefully it'll be awesome And do you have a website, Twitter, Facebook page? Oh, yeah. Every web presence I have is just Otis Frampton, one word, O-T-I-S-F-R-A-M-P-T-O-N. It's OtisFrampton.com. It's Otis Frampton on Twitter. It's Otis Frampton on Facebook, Otis Frampton Tumblr. It's all Otis Frampton, one word, so you can always find me. And if you like my work on ABCDEF Geek, please go to T-Fury and check out my T-Fury ABCDEF Geek collection. Pick up a t-shirt if you like. And I always enjoy seeing my t-shirts coming at me at a comic convention. So pick one up and visit me at a comic convention sometime in, in the next year. Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. And as always, please subscribe to this podcast where you listen to your podcasts. As well as follow us on social media at Pop Anime Comics on Twitter, Pop Anime Comics on Facebook, and our website, popanimecomics.com. And please share it with a friend if you like this podcast or if you know somebody who would. Until next week, everybody, have a wonderful week.